Well, take your Bible, if you would, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. A few years ago, probably, and, and, and by the way, when you, get, when you get older, it's hard to tell time. And I, I'm not sure if it's four or five years ago or 10 or 11 years ago. And it probably is closer to 10 or 11 years ago. We were in China and uh, had the opportunity to minister there for a couple of weeks. One, a man in our church, an engineer, was having to go to China because we're, you know, we're partnering uh, so much in China anymore. And his company had um, uh, struck a partnership there with a company in China. So he was having to go there. But he led a man to the Lord and got well acquainted with the president of that company. And the president of the company, uh, he paid our way. He said, would you bring your pastor and some other others maybe? And, and um, we'd, I, I'd like to sponsor. And so the mission field paid for our mission trip. I've never heard of that, but that's what happened in our case. And I had the opportunity. He took me and let me speak to his factory and, and his workers. And then he had me in his office to see if I could lead his wife to the Lord. And the Chinese people are very open. They're, it's not like they're closed-minded at all. I preached in uh, two weeks, uh, preached in some underground churches, but I had the opportunity to preach in a license-free church, or it's called a free church there. It's one that China can, you know, demonstrate that they have freedom of religion. So they, you know, there are no restrictions there. And so there about 600 there. About a fourth was Chinese, and they were trying to learn English. And so I'm and preaching there and speaking to the Chinese, in which I had an opportunity to do often, um, it's not that they're closed. They're very open. They just know nothing. And so God wants us to know him. He really wants us to know him. And he's gone to a lot of trouble to uh, get us to know him. Him. Today I'm going to preach a series of messages today on in his likeness. In his likeness. God wanted a likeness. And do you know that that likeness is sitting in this room this morning? But the world doesn't know God. And really, if you, uh, you cannot know really who you are. And my, are we struggling with that today, aren't we? When you've got young people today who do not know whether they are a boy or a girl or a dog or a cat, then we have gotten far away from the knowledge of, of who we are. But you know we can know. A person should know, without a doubt, who they are. But the best way to know who you are is to know who God is, because God wanted a likeness. We'll be looking at it in the next service, but verse 26 and 27 of chapter 1, God said, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness. God wanted a likeness. Isn't that amazing? All of the creation that God made, all of it, there was only one likeness. He made everything, but yet one likeness. And that likeness is here. But you cannot know that likeness until you know the likeness of God, who God is. And that's what we want to do today. And notice in verse number one, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. 
And as I did in China, I said, who is God? And I just went through chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, those two weeks, preaching at that church on who is God. And I, I want us to consider who is God? Who is God? God wanted a likeness, that likeness is you and I. But let's consider, let's go back and think about that passage of Scripture. In the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. And then we find that God made us. But who is God? In the beginning, God, let's consider who God is. First of all, consider the word God. Consider that word God. In the Hebrew, uh, and I'm not going to attempt to, to uh, use Hebrew words or Greek words. I, I did that once. And being from Kentucky, there was a fellow in my church who was a, he, he had a, um, uh, he majored in Greek at Bob Jones University. And here I was, I attempted to say a little Greek, you know, this word, and I saw him just chuckle a little bit. And it struck me, you know, here's a hillbilly uh, quoting Greek, you know. That, that, that may not come out exactly right. But anyway, that word God, in the Hebrew, there are three, Hebrew uses three forms, or three, and using the number of, an, of a noun, it has three different forms. There's singular, there's dual, and there's plural. And the singular form means, is the meaning of one, like one item. If I, if I uh, you know, uh, called out a particular, um, like chair, I would use that singular form, meaning, and you would understand, one chair. But if I said chairs, now in Hebrew, if there's two of them, or in, when things come in a pair, like eyes or ears, they have a dual suffix that they put on there. And, the, and when, you, when you read that, you know it's a pair of them. But the word God uses the plurality form, which means three or more. Elohim means three are more. If you see the word, and often in the Bible, you read the word God, and you look at that Hebrew word, and it is El, but it'll always have a small g, a small g. So we know that in the beginning here, the very beginning, the God that is mentioned here is at least three Persons in one. Now, we know that God is one, right? Yes, we know that God is one expressed in three persons. So that, that makes perfect sense to you and I of who God is expressed in the three persons. So we find in, in the, those three persons, the Father, the Holy Ghost, and the Son, all agreed in verse number 26 and 27, they came to an agreement that they would make a likeness. We want to talk a little bit about that. 
But everywhere in Scripture, when you read God with a chap, capital G, it's always Elohim, or the three-in-one God, except one place. And I want you to think about that. We'll get to that in the next hour. Do you know where in Scripture, I was studying this, and I, I was intrigued by it, and I, I, I was curious. Is it always that way? And then I was curious. I wonder if it was the same in a particular verse that came to my mind. And I want you to ponder on that. We'll come to it. Maybe some of you will have the answer ahead of time. Where in Scripture is there a reference to the God, the three-in-one God, yet it uses the singular L? We'll get to that in a moment. But let's consider now this God and um, get, get acquainted. He wants us to know Him. He, he really wants you and I to know Him. You know, the, notice here in verse 1, he says, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 says, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Verse 3 says, and God said. And verse 4 says, and God saw. God divided. Verse 5, God called. And verse 6, God said. Every verse you're going to go through, you're going to find that God makes in... 34 statements of how everything got here, everything was made, and who made it, he's going to tell us 35 times. He's going to use his name 35 times in 34 statements. That goes down through chapter 2 and verse number 3. Now, what's unique about that? Let's suppose, let's suppose, Pastor, let's suppose Tim Schelling made this pulpit. By chance did that happen, Brother Tim? Now, my assistant and I, we made the pulpit that I preached from the last several years. But let's suppose, let's just suppose that Tim Schelling made this pulpit. And I were to tell you how he made this pulpit, and I were to describe this in this fashion. Tim Schelling wanted a pulpit. Tim Schelling sat down to a drawing table. Tim Schelling drew out a blueprint of the pulpit that he wanted. Tim Schelling went out into the woods and cut down an oak tree. And Tim Schelling took that oak tree to a sawmill. And Tim Schelling cut that oak tree into boards. And Tim Schelling, you'd say, wait a minute. I'm not that dense. I understand who we're talking about and who made the pulpit. It was Tim Schelling. Why are you telling me Tim Schelling? Tim Schelling, Tim Schelling. But yet God, He has to tell us again and again and again. And that's why we have the Creation Museum because people are so dense. I mean, it shouldn't be that complicated to, feel, to figure out to make something as compli complicated as this old world. There had to be intelligent design. There had to be a creator. Amen. But we are dense. So God tells us again and again 
And again, God, 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 the three in one God made. So finally, if we get that sense of that, all right, I understand, I get it. God made me. God made this world for me to live in. I understand it. It it was God. And do you realize most people really, they do understand that there is a an intelligent creator that made them, and how, that's how they got here. Now, they may, they may differ on who that is and how that happened, but most people do believe that. All right, we, and most people don't really have a problem with believing that there is a God that made them and made this world, but let me tell you what they do have a problem. God wants us to know him, and he's God the maker. So we finally get hold of that. Go down to chapter 2 and verse 4. God tells us a little bit more about who he is. Now, God's wanting us to know him. And so we get to chapter 2 and verse number 4. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, hey, we know something else about God. Not only is he God, but he is Lord. Now, what does that mean? The word Lord is the self-existent one. I mean the one that doesn't need any other help. He's all uh, all and all. But it means literally he is the master of all that he has made. He's both maker, God, and he is master, Lord. Now you'll find out beginning in chapter 2 and verse 4, now that we know who God, that God is how we got here, Now we find out God is responsible and and God takes the oversight. He's the master of us. We need him to help us to do what we, uh, to take care of this world and to tell us what to do. I believe a lot, most people, though they believe there's a God, there's a creator, they do not believe in a master. Oh no, I'm, I'm not going, you know, I don't, need, I don't need anybody telling me what to do. I can take care of this myself. But God, uh, beginning in verse number 4, you'll not find him referenced again without referencing him as Lord God. <clears throat> Why is that so important? Let's suppose Bill Gates. Let's suppose Bill Gates is going to retire. Boy, wouldn't that be wonderful. Give it up, I mean. But let's suppose Bill Gates decided he was going to give up that vast corporation. And I don't know, maybe, I don't know, let's suppose he chose your pastor to take over his vast empire corporation. And let's suppose that your pastor Brother Tim Schelling, let's suppose he had the attitude that most of us have in running our life, which is more complicated than that vast corporation. Let's suppose that Bill Gates now, he has chosen, he has chosen Tim Schelling to be the CEO and to run this corporation. So Tim Schelling, first day on the job, he comes in, And he says, hey, Bill, 
He says, uh, well, hello, and, and they come in, and, and here's his big desk, big mahogany desk, if that's the kind they have anymore. I don't know in those modern, modern offices what they have anymore, but I mean the most update, modern desk, finest chair, and it's got his name, Tim Schelling, right here. Now, Tim Schelling would come in and say, Bill, I got it from here. I'll call you if I need you. First day on the job. No, I'll tell you what Tim Schelling would do if he had that great responsibility. He would say, now, listen, Mr. Gates, you, you've got to help me here. What, what, where do I start? What do I need to do today? Uh, what, what are some of these problems? What are these problems? I, I'm not sure I know how to handle this. You're going to have to stay with me here. You're going to have to help me. But do you realize... That's the way we handle life, which is so complicated. God, our maker, we say to God, I'll let you know if I ever need your help. And occasionally, when we get way over our head and things have become a mess, we start saying, oh, now help me, help me, help me. But do you know the Lord would help us not get in a mess if we would call on him early? Every day, because every day you've got to have his help. Every day. And you think about it, some of you young men <clears throat> and you young ladies. <clears throat> life is complicated. really is. And you need the Lord. Get figure out. I tell you, uh, my teen years, I wouldn't want to go through that again. I don't know how any of you were. But those were complicated times for me, trying to figure out everything. I mean, I, 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 there was so much, I just was trying to stumble my way through my teen years, trying to figure out direction in life and everything. But you know, you need the Lord's help, you young people. Not only to govern your life, but you know the relationships that you are going to be encountering. You need to say, God, I really don't know for sure. But now, you're, you're a fool. I'm telling you, you're a fool to leave God out of that equation. Because that's complicated. And you can get your life and someone else's life in a mess. In a real hurry, you need the Lord. So you finally said, all right, Lord, I need you. And you, you said, now you've got to help me through, through this life of mine. But then you get married. Guess what? Once you get married, complications increase tenfold. You young fellas, I'm telling you, you're in for a treat. Uh, you get married, you think you've got this thing figured out, and you think you know her. No, I'm going to tell you, marriage is a real eye-opener. Suddenly you begin to realize, hey, th this is a complicated creature that I'm married to. And you're going to have to say, Oh, Lord, you've got to help me. You need God's help through your married life. And then guess what? Then a little baby comes along. And you're talking about complicated. You know, you don't have any manuals with those things. I mean, they, they, they come with complications. They're crying, and you're not sure why they're crying. You don't know if they're about to die. You don't know what's wrong with them. You don't know if they've got some terrible disease or if they're just spoiled. And you, you're just, you know, it's, it's complicated. And guess what? It doesn't get any better. 
When, they, when the older they get, it doesn't get any better. Every stage of life, is some, it's a new complication. And then when they get into their teen years, oh, Lord God, you've got to help me. You see, we need him to be the master of our life. We must have him as master of our life. You've got to depend. You've got to accept him. And it, oh, that's what Adam did. And the Lord God commanded him. There wasn't any, anything in their relationship that the Lord God wasn't involved in with, with Adam. Every, every part of his, the relationship of life, God brought the animals to him and helped him name the animals. Uh, God took uh, from Adam the, the wife that he was to have. You know, made, made it for him. Why did God put Adam to sleep? Because he didn't need Adam's advice on how to make her. God knew exactly what Adam needed. And the Lord God helped him with that. Some have said, why did God make Adam uh, first? Because he didn't need the woman's help and uh, advice in making the man either. And the best thing you can do is say, Lord, you make my helpmeet. Lord, you make my spouse. Lord, you make my child to be what you want them to be. That's why we've got to have the Lord, our master, to help us throughout all of life's complicated situations. He is Lord of our life. And we've got to accept him, accept that, and accept him as our Lord. Now, so we get... We, we, and by the way, if any of you, uh, you think life is complicated trying to take care of a family, uh, you, you ought to pray for your pastor. You really ought to pray for your pastor. Because when a man then gets, God calls him into the ministry and puts him as a pastor of a church, He's got all of your families <laughs> that he's got. To, and, and I'm amazed at the young men of this day and age that they're trying to administrate and learn all about administration and learn all the, eh, the to be the professional pastor without God, without the Lord helping them. Oh, I learned a long time, Lord, I cannot do this. And your pastor needs the Lord to help you every week to prepare you for something that will help you with your family and your life. And so you need to keep him in your prayers because he keeps you in prayer. And he keeps you before the Lord. He said, now, Lord God, this is more... Comp this, this. And it's amazing to me the, the complications people's lives are getting, uh, getting in today. And pastors, you know, they, they've got to have the Lord. And praise God, you've got a good pastor. All right, one thing we need to understand about this Lord God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. He is one. Now, that's complicated, isn't it? How can three be one? How can three be one? I, I preached a message some time ago on the meaning of one. Most people really are confused about what one means. Let me, let me, let's, let's just go through a little word study here, or 
Uh, stay with me. on. Let's study this thought on what does one really mean. One, uh, when, when I preached this message, I, I went to the copier and I made three numbers. I made the number one, the number three, and the number one. I taped them right before, when I got up to preach, I just put that, those numbers right over, let them hang down. One, three, one. What was unique about that? That's 131 if you're looking at it. And so to, to kind of get an image in people's minds, 131 is three numbers, yet it is one number. One, three, one. And so I just pull that number at random. I could have used any three numbers, but I, that, that number came to my mind. One, three, one. 131. But the unique thing about it, my son-in-law, Tim, who was my song leader at that time, he, um, he chose to sing right before the message, our last song, 131, Christ is all I need. I thought, well, boy, the Lord's in this message. I, and I, so I had those numbers, 131, and I began, I began by saying, ask the congregation, how many numbers are, is, is this? Is it three numbers? Is it one number? So I got people thinking. So what is the meaning of one? First of all, one means it is unique. Unique. When I say that one, if I point to that piano and I say that one, you know which one I'm talking about. I'm specifically speaking of that one. And when we say that the Lord God is one, as he says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, 39, Know therefore this day and consider it in thine heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath. There is none else. He is the one and only. He's the unique one. So we understand, God is unique. He's the only one, the Lord God. But not only when I would say that He is unique, the Lord God is one, meaning preeminent. Preeminent. Yesterday, Kentucky had the good fortune of beating uh, Florida. And oftentimes, you, you, you see, when somebody wins a game like that, they will do like this. We are... Number one. And at least on yesterday, they were. Florida had their number for 31 years in a row, and now Kentucky's had theirs for three, beating them three times in a row. And so Kentucky's feeling like we're number one. When a team wins the championship, they say we're preeminent. We're number one. Well, can I say concerning God, uh, as Isaiah, when he saw the, the Lord in the year that Uzziah died, he said, I saw the Lord uh, upon, sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And when he saw the Lord in his preeminence, he realized who he was. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And when we see God as who he really is, he is preeminent. There is none above him. There's none beside him. I mean, he is 
He is preeminent. So one means unique, one means preeminent, but one means also indivisible, meaning an absolute agreement. An absolute agreement. Uh, 1 John 5 verse, verse 7 says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. What does that mean? They're in absolute agreement. If you and I have a, a, a matter that we're to discuss, and maybe you do this in your company, and you bring the leadership together, there's something major to decide, a decision to make, and, and you want to make sure the board and all that's involved in that say, now, are we one on this? Before we go out on the floor and present this, are we one? Are we together on this? And that certainly means in, in absolute agreement, and God has never, the Holy uh, Spirit, the Father and the Son, have never disagreed. Amen. There are several examples that we're, we may look at today where they were in absolute agreement. Verse 26 and 27 and 28, when they had their conference, and they wanted a likeness, they were in agreement with that. But you're going to find too, and the wonderful truth is, when man fell and lost all of that, they were in absolute agreement on how to bring man back into his likeness again. There's never been any disagreement. and uh, They're in absolute ag agreement. Now, also, the word one means all-inclusive. Let's go back to my illustration of one, three, one. 131. What does... That's one number, right? 131 is one number. 131 is one. Yet, it is all-inclusive, meaning there are 131 ones in the one 131. You understand what I'm saying? Now, the wonderful truth is that in Christ, He included all of those little ones like you and I that are in Him. For in Him we live and move and have our being. I mean, we have been made one, and there's many verses we could look at that, that are in Him. And, uh, oh, there's much we could say about that when we think of that 131, that means there are numbers before, there's numbers after, and I'll tell you how wonderful it is in that in Christ, yes, all, all before that uh, have put their faith in His Word, they're in Him, all that come after you and I, they too are in Him. Let me give one more example of the meaning of one, and it means whole, entire intact, uh, unified. God is one God in that uh, he, is, he is whole. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost make up the Godhead. And we know that in Christ dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
Alright? So we know that who God is, and that He is whole, and, um, and, and indivisible, and he is, uh, he is undivided. Let me I'll close with this verse, and we'll get to it the next hour. Ephesians 3.14. Now I'll say it this way. God is a family. God is a family. That's what is expressed in uh, Genesis 1.26, and God said, let us. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. God is a family. I used to think that the family of God was all of God's children. But that would be like saying the child is the family, you see. Ephesians chapter 3 names the family of God. In uh, chapter 3, verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And by the way, there's the Father, there's the Son, and there's the Spirit. That is the family of God. The family of God is the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son. That is the family of God. Now, the desire that God had... He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. That, in other words, that you might be made whole in Him. Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all the ages, world without end. Amen. And we're going to close right there, but we're going to pick it up there in a moment when God wanted a likeness to His family. The Father, and the Holy Ghost, and the Son said, let us, let's make a likeness. So what did he produce? He made a family. Male and female created he them and said, multiply, replenish the earth. Male father, female mother, multiply, replenish the earth, children. The likeness that God wanted is sitting here in this room. We're going to find out a little bit more about how to Maintain that likeness. Heavenly Father, bless the word that you've spoken to our hearts this morning and help us to hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against thee. Lord, that our families might be like your family. In Jesus' name, amen.